and stories from the heart of Ireland. 58 different writers from around the country tell their stories of hope and inspiration. The billionaire John Magner uh, shares the simple truth of what determines the quality of our lives. Uh, the great Tommy Fleming, who we'll speak to in just a while, shows that no matter how badly things go wrong, there's always a way back. The multi-million selling author Kathy Kelly shares a very personal story of love and family. Now, the book has been compiled by the author and broadcaster Brendan Power in aid of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And I'm really glad to say that Brendan is with me in, in studio. Good morning to you, Brendan. Good morning, Fran, and thank you very much for letting us talk about the book. Very, very, very welcome indeed. Why did you decide to compile this book for Make-A-Wish, Brendan? Well, I've got a, a slight a bit of a history with Make-A-Wish. I suppose most of us know about Make-A-Wish, but not too many of us know actually what it does. I learned firsthand my granddaughter had a brain tumour. Um, Make-A-Wish very kindly took her to Lapland, where she met Father Christmas. Uh, by the way, not just met Father Christmas, the real one. The real one. She told me when she came back, and it must have been right, because two weeks later, Christmas Day, all the presents she asked for were under the tree. So therefore, it must have been the real one she met. And they are, Make-A-Wish are really quite amazing. Yes. I, I saw it again um, in Dublin not so very long ago. I was up there with my wife. We were staying in a hotel. There was a couple at the table beside us with a couple of children. We started talking to them, and we discovered that the young lad was there through Make-A-Wish. He was a, a gamer. And apparently in Dublin there is a very famous gamer who is known worldwide... And he wanted to meet him, so Make-A-Wish arranged it for him. And he was... We actually got up early the next morning to see him leave when the limousine came to pick him up. They didn't need the limousine, by the way. He could have flown. He was five feet off the air as he was uh, He is, was there. Is, is that marvellous? Yeah. Can I compliment you on your own story about your granddaughter in the book? Because, to be honest with you, I found it absolutely heartbreaking indeed as you went along with the story and sadly she she passed away then but how you tell that story and particularly for her parents I mean heartbreaking stuff oh. particularly the decision that they had to make towards the end a, a terrible decision not one that I could have made I don't think yes but yeah Neve went through three brain operations in a course of 18 months in the last of those she also suffered a stroke and so she had to learn to walk again and everything kept smiling all the way through, fortunately. Um, then it returned. The tumour returned. The surgeon said he was prepared to do another operation. He said, but I would be doing it for you and not for her. It wouldn't improve the quality of her life. In fact, it might do the opposite. And Simon and Marie, her parents, had a, oh, a terrible decision to make. I don't know how anybody could have made it. I was so proud of them. Uh, they decided not to have the operation, um, but to let Neve live out the rest of her life without inflicting any further trauma. Would you tell... I mean, I don't want to give too, away too much of, of uh, the story, but uh, because of the stroke, her arm was disabled. Will you tell me about the prayer? Because I... Oh, yeah. <laughs> as a dad yeah. myself, I couldn't couldn't get over that. Tell me about the prayer. Yeah, all the way through her illness, she Neve just smiled all the time. And maybe I was living in a dream world and I didn't really believe it was as bad as it was. She never complained, never once. But she was over with us in Feather-on-Sea down in Wexford. And uh, every night I would read a story. And then this one night, I don't know why, but I just said to her, uh, do you want to say a prayer? 
you know, but just use your own words. We'll say a prayer together. And she said, yeah. And she said, dear God, please make my arm work like the other one. It's the first time I'd ever heard her say anything for herself. My God, oh, it, my it was but, terrible. But what an inspirational young young lady! Oh, she she is. What what age was she when she passed away? Nine. Nine. It was just six weeks or so after her ninth birthday. My God! Yeah. When you decided to compile the stories from various different people, were you surprised at what you got? Yes, mm. is the short answer. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was surprised and pleased because I wrote to a lot of people, yourself included and said, you know, would you help out? Could you do a story? Now, there were some people who came back to me and said, I'm sorry, I can't, because time pressure for one thing. They felt they didn't have a story which would be suitable. Now, that's perfectly understandable. That's fine. But the people who did come through with stories, you mentioned earlier there, Tommy, Tommy Fleming, um, Kathy Kelly, uh, even the chief of staff for the Defence Forces, General Clancy, you know, so many, um, John Magnier, um, it's funny, when I went to the publisher and we, we looked at all the stories, he said, how on earth did you get John Magnier to do a story? Yes. And I said, I used an age-old trick. I asked. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it worked. Too. And, you know, it certainly comes across in John's story, but I think, in fairness, right throughout all of the stories, even very well-known people, they're vulnerable, aren't they? Oh, yes. You know, yeah. There's a vulnerability there that... At, at the end of the day, it, it doesn't matter who you are, what you do, where you're from, you are a person. Yes. You know, you you still have to uh, eat and drink, you have to work, you have to do everything around. So we're all just people. And we look at people, we hold them up on a pedestal, and quite rightly sometimes for various things they do. But underneath that, they're just normal people. If you read Tommy Fleming's story, you know, it's great to sit there in a big arena. He's down in Wexford. I'll be seeing him in February at the uh, Opera House. We see him and we see him on stage and we, we look and we think, that's brilliant. Mm. But read his story and you'll find uh, out uh, he's just an ordinary incredible. person. Well, let's uh, let's talk to him right now because he's online with us. Tommy, good morning to you. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, Brendan. How are you? How good morning, you, Tommy. And uh, Tommy, you're very welcome back because I know you were in Australia for quite a long time. You must be still jet lagged, are you? I'm, I'm a bit. I don't know which side of me is up at the moment, and, and now I have a, now I have a chest infection and a head cold, oh, which isn't helping. But look at these things happen when you're on when you're on a plane so many times, and you meet so many people. Something's bound to something's bound to give, as they say, you know. I suppose but, um, indeed. Well, congratulations on your story in the stories from the heart of Ireland, Tommy, because. I thought I knew your story about the accident, for example, but the detail in here and what you actually went through and how career-threatening it was, I couldn't get over. You know, it's funny, Fran, um, I was just listening to you and Brendan talk there, and when when I got the letter through from in the, in the office that Brendan had sent, the, or the email, and I thought, oh, God, my story isn't good enough for that book. Um, you know, what did I do? was the kind of the attitude I had. And Tina, my wife, turned around and said, <clears throat> talk about something that has really affected you. So I said, look, I'll tell it in my words. It's not going to be flowered up in any shape or form. And I told it. And, I, you know, it's funny. It's something Brendan said there. You know, we're all human. And, you know, I do a job. You do a job. Everybody does their job. And as my dad, my late dad used to say, 
but we all get up in the morning and put our trousers on one leg at a time. Yes. So we're all, we're all the same, you know. There's, there's nothing, doesn't, doesn't matter what we go through, doesn't matter what job we do. We're no better or no worse than anybody else. So that's kind of, that's what drove me to, to write the story. And many people would know the kind of backbone of the story. Mm. I'd never really tell the inside of it and where my head was at and how how flawed and how, not so much flawed, but how fragile and precarious the whole thing had become when after the accident. And, and you're, the, you're very upfront in the story and you say you felt unstoppable at this stage. I mean, your career had gone from strength to strength. You worked with Coulter, you worked with Day Dannon, there was Carnegie Hall, there was all of this. Tommy was on the rise and then this happened. This happened and I... It's, can you believe it's 25 years ago next week? Is it indeed? Wow. It is, yeah. And, wow. um, you know, I was... I think the worst part of all of that was when I, I was uh, rushed from uh, Mayo General Hospital to uh, final unit in Dublin in the Matter Hospital, which I have to praise so much. And I, I will never forget these two specialists coming out to me after my uh, surgery to tell me that um, I had broken my neck I broke my neck in three places, and that there is an eighty to eighty-five percent possibility I won't walk again. And my sister Kathy, my oldest sister Kathy, was with me, and I will always remember. And obviously, I'm not going to use the language on the radio, but I will always remember turning around to these two very highly educated, qualified men, telling them, "Don't be beep 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 so stupid." <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's when my determination kicked in. That I don't care what somebody tells me. I'm going to find my way around it. Um, and yes, it was. It was a. It was an awful time. It was almost two years of recuperation, of recovery, of not knowing what was going to happen. <clears throat> and I will always remember a few years after that, turning around, saying to somebody, "When I look back on it, I look back on it in a strange way because it's the best thing that ever happened to me." Why do you say that, Tommy? Because I learned to separate the wheat from the chaff very quickly. And then the people that were hanging around me, I was only useful to them while I was well, while I was good, while I could perform. Um, and the people that stuck by me and saw me through it were the people that I, I some of them I still have around me, uh, on my team, um, that work with me. Um, I just I learned at a very young age, at 27, I suppose, which isn't that young, but I learned at 27 the people that I could trust, the people that I needed, the people that were were the people that were important to me. It's a, and, and all of that is in the story as well. And, and again, you and I would have mentioned the accident in, in the past, but I didn't realise how dramatic it was. I mean, the car burst into flames shortly after you coming out through the, the window of the car, and then you had to walk miles in the state you were in. I didn't walk, actually. I crawled. <laughs> I don't remember that one. And I think it was the first time I ever believed in angels because I think my grandmother saved me. Um, I had a broken neck. Um, a bro- my shoulder was dislocated. I had a broken wrist, several broken ribs. Um, I was a bit beaten up, let's put it that way. <laughs> and Brendan, I am... Um, but I, I, you know, the right... The, the, the stars aligned. There was a, a couple that I knew from that lived down the road from my parents' house. They picked me up. They brought me home. Um, and only for I had a major gash in my forehead 
which I still have the scar of to this day, my Harry Potter scar, I call it. Um, my sister insisted that I should go to the hospital, so she drove me, which was the stupidest thing I could have done. Drove me, me sitting in the front seat, a car shaking all over the place, with three vertebrae broken um, in my upper neck. And then that's when they x-rayed it and said, we need to airlift him to Dublin. And that's, I suppose that's when all the drama started, really. And um, from there, I had, from there, it was just a, a road, a long, long road to recovery. And and it's funny, I I still look back on it and I don't, I don't shudder, I don't cringe, I don't have that fear. I just look back on it and go, things could have been worse. I look at many people have had far worse outcomes of things like that. And I'm one of the lucky ones that I can, that I was able to board a plane in Sydney last last Saturday or Sunday morning and fly home without any assistance. That I was able to do, that I was able to tour Australia for the last two months and not have a problem. That I'm able to... I was able to walk down to the gym from my apartment in Sydney and work out. I was able to do all of those things. And there's not a day that I don't look back or think that it could have always been different or worse. And I was delighted the way you credited your parents for your recovery as well and how vital they were to you. And of course, then, as we know, subsequently, you lost them, unfortunately, on the on the same day, Tommy. But uh, they, they were vital to you, weren't they? They were extremely vital to me. And that's another reason I always say it's the best thing that ever happened to me. I moved out of home when I was 18. I was a kid. I was an 18-year-old who thought I knew everything. I was an 18-year-old whose parents were annoying him and they were embarrassing to me, <laughs> like all our 18-year-olds probably. Um, and I moved out and I was working in Dublin. I was working in different places. I lived in London for a while. And, and <clears throat> when the accident happened, um, there was nobody living at home with my parents. They were, everyone had flown the nest because I'm the youngest of six. But the conditions of me being um, able to discharge from the spinal unit was that I had to be somewhere that, that somebody could take care of me. So that meant leaving Dublin, which was I had a great life in Dublin, I thought, as a 27-year-old mm. madman. Mm. I had to leave Dublin, uh, let my flat go, let all of that go. I had to move back in with my parents, which the prospect at the time was far worse than the accident as a 27-year-old. And I lived with my mum and dad for almost two years uh, while they helped me recuperate. And it was funny, like, they killed me with kindness. My mother fed me every 20, 20 minutes. <laughs> um, my my dad, because I was finding sleeping pills and other medications very, very severe, I could, you know, I just thought I, I was always groggy with them, so I'd stop using them. So my dad would make me hot touching at night to help me sleep. So I was turning into a fat alcoholic. But I, the one thing I've always said was I got to have those two years with them on my own and I got to know them and I got to, I got to so much respect them and their opinion and their, their story and their, their life. And I would never have known that had the accident not happened. So I, I always find, you know me with this, friend. I always find the half full glass and things. Yeah. Yeah. And that I find a positive side to something. And that's one of the biggest outcomes and positive outcomes that I had from the accident. I got to spend two years with my mum and dad and live with them uninterrupted and got to know them. I got to watch crap daytime television with my mother and I got to watch sports programmes with my dad. Um, and all of that. And 
you know, I remember that program, Martin Marcus, when it yes. was about Catholic Christ. <laughs> I had to, I had to endure that program every until <laughs> <laughs> I was on because I had no choice. Oh, that's and great. They're the stories that that you know, out of out of adversity comes some good, and that was that was it. Well, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to write the story for Brendan when he sent when he when he requested it. Well, it's a marvelous story. That's that's for sure. You're coming you're coming to see us here in the next few weeks, aren't you? In uh... I am. I'm coming down to Racket Hall. Um, I, I didn't even expect to have dates been mentioned, so I don't know. You'd have to look them up there for me. Yeah. I don't even know what date I'm down. Um, I'm in Racket Hall, and I'm in um, Saint Clonmel Mary's Church, in Clonmel. Uh, Saint Mary's as well. in Clonmel yes. In yes. So, but look, congratulations, Brendan, on a, on a fantastic book. You know, my my story is not even a it's not even a, a pebble on the road compared to what your story and you, you might story you is. might well it's think so, Tommy. But your story is very inspiring. Very. Inf- I was with somebody the other day who was also in a car crash. A young lad who's got a story in there, James Saunders, and he's read your story. And he was inspired by it as well. So, well, thank you. That's that's thank lovely you. to hear. But I just, I just thought I, I, I just wanted to put my company's worst, as my mum used to say, into it. And if it, if it helps in any shape or form, it does. And for the for the listeners, the book is fantastic. There's, it's one of those books that it's not it's not so much that you can't put it down, but it's one of those books when you do put it down, you reach over and pick it up again. It's that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's it's for the coffee table. It's it's certainly it's for when you're is indeed. There and you're just flicking through it, and you can read. There's one one story doesn't correlate or connect to the other, so you can just read the story you want to read, and then all of a sudden, before you realise it, you've read every story. Well, Tommy, a delight to talk to you today. I know you're a little under the weather, so we appreciate your time, and of course, you, you, always good to talk to you, Tommy. Thank you Listen, so much. Not at all, friend. Thanks, and congratulations again, Brendan, and the best best of luck. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you. All right, Gurmeel Mahaga, Tommy. Thank you so much indeed for that. What about people picking up the book then, Brendan? Where where can they get it? Um, any of the any of the major bookshops, uh, Fran. If uh, if it's raining and they don't want to go out to the shop, they can always go on to the Make a Wish website, Make a Wish Island website, and there's a, a section on there called Buy Gifts, and the book is on there as well. So. Yeah, but any of any of the big bookshops, they'll have it. Well, it's a, it's a marvelous piece, and as I say, I couldn't put it down when I when I picked it up. Just like uh, Tommy explains there. Great to see you, Brendan. We wish you well. Thanks. Thank very you much very indeed. much. Thank you. The book is called Stories from the Heart of Ireland: uh, Sixty One Stories of Inspiration and Hope. It's compiled by Brendan Power there, and it's in aid of the Make a Wish Foundation. August and Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.